The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is your newscast for episode 207 for the week of April 19th, 2021. Alex, uh, we got some nice snow this weekend. We did. Um, and if you were listening to this on uh, on Monday, it may be snowing again. Uh, I hear we're, we're not through with the snow quite yet, Rob. I'm ready to be through with the snow, though. It's it's spring. I know, me too. It's time to time to move on. Weather, get the drift. Let's uh, let's move into the sun. You know, we do need the moisture. <clears throat> I won't complain about that. But uh, but yeah, I, I'd rather it be rain right now than snow. Right. Well, you know, speaking uh, of uh, of rain, it's it's raining news, Alex. Before <laughs> and before we jump into that news, let's let's do some housekeeping. We have a Slack channel if you want to join it and talk to almost two thousand of our of our closest Colorado friends. Uh, I think we have just like eighteen hundred ninety something people in there. Uh, if you want to join that group, go to colorado-security.com and click the Slack link, and you can be part of the party. You know, we also have a mailing list if you go to the website uh, again, colorado-security.com. There's a form to fill out there. If you put your, your email in that form, we will add it to our list and you will get one email every week with the show notes. Um, and that will be delivered to you uh, mostly on Sunday, sometimes Monday, and maybe later when I forget. And a few other things we'd love it. If you would do um, go to your favorite podcast listening app and, and subscribe to get the show in your inbox each week. Uh, you can also rate us and, and put nice comments about us on that place. So other folks can find us. Um, and we'd love it if you'd tell a friend, you know, as you, as you're, we're getting back into seeing people in person here soon, um, you know, you can be like, you know, there's this amazing podcast with the funniest guy and this other guy too. And, and I'd love it if you'd listen to it. And, and I think if you can help get those recommendations, uh, that would be great to build the community. Yeah. You know, um, Jay Wilson, our, you know, our guest host a couple of weeks ago, he is that, that really funny guy. So I, I appreciate you noting that. Yeah, um, yeah, he sure is. Uh, and finally, uh, we do have a Patreon campaign. So if you'd like to support the uh, Colorado Cool Security Movement financially, you can do that through Patreon. We have a multiple multitude of different options there. Uh, depending on what you sign up for, you get things like a, a t-shirt, a call out on the show, and you can help us uh, by supporting the costs of, of putting this all together. So we would really appreciate that as well. All right. All right. With, so let's take with it that, we got, we got one more announcement, but oh, it's, yeah. uh, it's not exactly uh, news quite yet. Big announcement, uh, registration for RMISC, the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference 2021 is finally open, Rob. So everyone should run out right now and get registered. And is there an early bird uh, reduction of costs that they should take advantage of? There is. You have uh, until approximately a month from uh, from the, the beginning of RMISC, which is uh, would be May 8th-ish. So you've got you know, three weeks or so to do uh, your early registration um, much lower cost this year. Um, you have options under $100, depending on, you know, if you're a member of ISSA or student or other things like that. And uh, really looking forward to it. It's a, it's a good lineup. Oh, awesome. Looking forward to the conference. All yeah. right, let's jump into the news. We have a follow-up from some news you guys talked about while I was um, sitting on a beach in Mexico. Um, you, you, we talked about the fact that Whataburger kind of, we casually heard that they're coming to Colorado. Well, there's an, a story here that gives some more details about, about their expansion into the state. Yeah, so they made, uh, made this an official announcement that they will be opening a, a Colorado training center uh, and in their first restaurant in Colorado Springs. And uh, that training center will be at uh, 5905 Constitution Avenue. 
uh, not being super familiar with Colorado <laughs> Springs. That doesn't mean a whole lot to me, but I think it's uh, sort of on the northeast side of town. And then their first restaurant will be in the InterQuest Marketplace, also on the north side of Colorado Springs, looking for groundbreaking sometime uh, towards the end of summer 2021. Did, didn't um, In-N-Out Burger have a similar strategy where they were going to start off with a distribution center in Colorado Springs? Yeah, and I think they did, and that the first restaurant was down there. So I'm, I'm not sure um, if it's uh, size of Colorado Springs. Maybe it's a little, uh, little cheaper to put your distribution hub down there or something. I don't know, but uh, but yeah, that is an interesting strategy. Yeah, interesting that they both did the same thing. Yeah, but uh, you know, since one of our main goals here is to break the the latest fast food news, um, you know, good to know that Whataburger is going to be coming back to Colorado officially. You know, I, I I've poo pooed. Um, in and out Burger as being, you know, it, it's just a burger. Um, I, I have had an, one a burger, but it's been, probably been 15 years since I've had one. And I honestly don't remember how good it is. Do you, do you have a, an opinion on Whataburger? You know, I, I, I had one a few years ago. I think there's one in the airport in Dallas and I had one. Um, I feel like it was a hamburger. Um, I, I don't remember anything particular about it, but uh, I know I have uh, talked to some people that say that they like Whataburger better than in and out So you know, maybe people are in for a treat. Well, I'm looking forward to giving it a try. Yeah. Uh, speaking of not fast food, we have some uh, some airport news here. DIA has landed a new direct flight to Paris from Denver. Yeah, I'm excited about this. You know, any any new opportunities for us to get directly to other parts of the world are, are exciting to me. Um, and this is especially nice because we had a direct flight to Paris well, that was by Norwegian Air. And, you know, if you remember... Um, I think we talked about it on the show. They they pulled out of of doing the direct internet well, international flights really, um, and and now we we lost that flight. But now Air France is going to be doing a new uh, route directly to Denver. Um, I think it's two or three times a week. I can't remember which, but uh, I'm excited about that. Yeah, I think uh, competition obviously is good for consumers, and anytime that there are more flights coming out of Denver to places that we might want to go, it's going to lower uh, lower the prices maybe bring in other nonstop flights to Paris or, you know, other nearby places. So, uh, so I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. And uh, I was also sad when Norwegian pulled out, we actually uh, in summer of 2019, we flew on Norwegian to London and uh, it was a good experience and, and relatively cheap compared to, to other things. So glad to see we've got more international flights coming back into Denver. Uh, speaking of big things coming to Colorado, uh, there is a new, uh, major network television series that's being shot here in Colorado. It's 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 uh, by NBC Universal, and they're shooting this this um, drama pilot in between Denver and Durango. They're going between those two locations, um, which is it's kind of interesting to know that they're you know if it gets picked up, this this could be a major show here in our state. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. One of the things that they talked about in here is how they wanted to to make it. Uh, more realistic and film it in locations that it potentially could have happened in, you know, uh, you know, in the the sort of the West kind of area, which I think is why they're doing uh, the Durango part as well, as opposed to just, you know, shooting it on a, a soundstage or, you know, somewhere in the, the hills in LA and, and pretending like it's uh, in the West. So I think that's pretty cool. One of the other things that I, I noticed in here is that uh, NBC Universal is the, the company that is producing it but it's supposed to be shown on ABC. So I thought that was kind of weird that NBC is making the show, but not putting it on their own network. Yeah, it, I, I think you can look at it two ways. Number one, well, if NBC loves it so much, why aren't they showing it? 
but the other way is number two, there's now two major networks who, you know, have a, have a stake in making this successful. And hopefully that means it'll be more likely to be successful. For sure. Yeah. And part of the reason why this, uh, this story came up is because uh, there are incentives that are being offered to, to NBC universal to do the filming here. Um, I'm missing the actual number here, but you know, as, uh, as our normal, you know, the, the Colorado uh, group that, that does this stuff offers incentives to, uh, to movie and film productions to try and shoot here as do many other states. So yeah. um, pretty cool. They, they mentioned a couple other things that are going on uh, yeah, a horror film that that's being produced by a, a couple of Colorado natives and as well as uh, a, a PBS show on, uh, on a mute on music. So pretty cool. Yeah. So it's the economic development commission that does these offer that makes these deals and they're offering a million dollars of incentives to, uh, to film it here. Um, and interestingly enough, they're they're talking about um, you know as a potential incentive for for long term keeping the filming here um, that they would reduce the the tax the tax liability for Comcast, which which is headquartered here or ha- not headquartered but has a whole bunch of employees here. Um, so that's one way that they could you know make it make it sweet for them to to stay in the state. Yeah. Um, a couple of, couple of quick facts: um, the show is about a Native American lawmaker, um, which makes sense that they might be in Durango and in, in Denver. You know. Then maybe Durango is where they're from. Denver's where they're where they're doing the lawmaking, um, and they had, do not have a name yet for the show, so we don't know what to call it other than major network television show. Uh, I am looking forward to watching major network television show when it comes out on ABC. Should be fun Good stuff. Um, speaking of incentives, Rob, we all have an incentive uh, to make sure that uh, we push for environmental sustainability uh, to help our planet, and we're not the only ones that that uh, believe that. Pop sockets. Um, also feels that way, and they are uh, working to make a more environmentally sustainable pop socket to put on the back of your phone. Yeah, you know, I I feel like we haven't talked about pop socket for a few years, and honestly, the reason I put this in the show notes is because I'm like, hey, just remember, everybody, pop sockets is a Denver company, uh, and and I I don't know how well they're doing. You know, they, I, the, in the article they talk about you know how they were the biggest growing company in 2017 2018 timeframe. Um, I would guess that in the last three years, they're probably not still the biggest growing company, but, but, you know, obviously they're still doing well enough that they can uh, be reinvesting in new products and coming up with new stuff. Yeah. I I have to say it's been a little while since I've seen someone with a pop socket on the back of their phone, but um, that may also be because I don't see people anymore, Rob. Um, Could be. So so maybe, you know, uh, once we come out of the pandemic, everyone will have pop sockets on the back of their phone and maybe I just missed it, but um, the, the new, uh, pop socket that they're developing is plant-based as opposed to being more traditional uh, petroleum-based plastic. And, uh, you know, they're aiming to have, uh, well, hopefully all plant-based, but right now the first iteration is 35% plant-based, um, 56% from cornstarch, 52% from canola oil. And, uh, the connector hub is 70% castor beans, um, not sure I know what a castor bean is, but apparently you can make uh, organic plastic out of it. Yeah, so, so there's there's different parts of it. There, each of them have different percentages of of uh, plant based stuff. If you if you look into the article, there's a nice image that shows what their goal is for how they're going to get to being further a uh, higher percentage being plant based. But but anyway, for now, I think just the fact that they're prioritizing this means you know things are going to move in the right direction, and, and they're they're pushing the innovation on plant based, uh, you know, plastic type. Um, uh, goods. Yeah. I'll say though, my favorite part of this story is the, the photo at the top of the, the CEO of pop sockets in a, 
a cool pose holding two phones with pop sockets on it. Well, I mean, it's important to have <laughs> have two phones at any given time. So exactly. David Barnett, we we salute you. We do. All right. Uh, next story here. Uh, we have another another store company that's coming to Denver, and, and this is a this is one that you know I I actually didn't even know they had a, a big presence in the West. Um, Vizio, the uh, um, the television manufacturer, they're looking to bring a whole bunch of jobs here to Colorado. Yeah. Um, not only did I not know that they were based in the West, uh, I just <clears throat> assumed that they were a you know South Korean or uh, some other. Uh, Asian country based company. Um, but, you know, Vizio is based in Irvine, California. And uh, like many companies, they've uh, decided to to put offices sort of around the country. And uh, Denver is one place where they, they've they decided they want to put some people. And uh, so they're, they're putting an, an office here right now. They have a small team, but uh, going to be growing that. And at some point are going to have an actual physical office here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to seeing you know yet another a big uh, company that we that we appreciate having a, a big presence in Denver. I, I think it just adds credibility to what we do in Colorado. Yeah, and you know we think of them for for televisions, but obviously to go along with the television, you have to do a lot of software, um, and so you know there's a lot of security that comes along with that kind of software. So maybe there'll be some opportunities there. I did happen to look at their uh, their website to see what kind of jobs that they had open in Colorado, and there were a lot of you know software engineering kind of jobs. Um, didn't see any security jobs, so uh, maybe we can push them to to up their game in security and, and hire some security folks out here too. Maybe we need to to create a, a a viral TikTok video talking about how security in Colorado is what they should be doing. Yes, I, I think that that would uh, would go over well. Jason Jakes, let's get on that. Jason, could you please create that viral TikTok video for us? Thank you. All right. Uh, jumping into the security news. Um, this is a, a follow-up to a story that I think we've talked about at least once, maybe twice, um, that it is, it's ever-evolving. Um, it was announced that, uh, that hackers are trying to extort the University of Colorado um, you know, in sort of a ransomware uh, sense, uh, not to release data that they got through uh, the, the Acelion hack from uh, a few months back. Uh, of course, the uh, University of Colorado was affected by that. There was a vulnerability in uh, Acelion products that allowed attackers to get in and, and pull data out of the, uh, the Acelion file transfer uh, application, hardware, whatever it might be. And, uh, and so this is just following up on that and uh, letting us know that, uh, that this is sort of still ongoing with, uh, with CU. The hackers are have been slowly leaking some data, trying to to pressure CU to pay the ransom. Yeah, I mean, it is a it is really a, a bummer that that the attackers are going after uh, public organizations like this. I am glad to hear. I personally am glad to hear that they're not planning to pay the ransom. I just think it only makes things worse for everyone in the long run if they do. Yeah, um, one thing that uh, that made me chuckle, and I think it's just the the words that they have here. Um, the, you know, the first paragraph of the of the story says that that hackers are trying to extort them, and the uh, more than three hundred and ten thousand files is what they got, but it included student data, medical information, and several social security numbers. You know, just you know, one or two, several, several. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving over. Next story. We have uh, an update from Swimlane, uh, the local. Uh, Soar company here in Colorado. Um, they they are expanding, or they have expanded into APAC um, with 500% year over year growth in the region. Yeah, um, congrats to them. I'm glad to see that they are growing. 
Um, I, I'm not sure how much the 500% actually means at this point. Um, you know, if you have basically no market uh, one year and then you have a great market the next year, you're, you're probably going to have some pretty good growth. Um, otherwise, you're not being successful at all. But, it, you know, they uh, mentioned the addition of 11 new customers, which is great. And uh, they're getting ready to start a professional services organization in APAC as well to uh, help support all the customers that they have out there. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, one thing that was interesting to me in this article is there's a, a quote in here from Waikit Shaw, maybe, uh, who's a director of security practices for Lumen Technology in, in APAC, Asia Pacific area. Um, and I was really surprised. That, I mean, this I assume this is the same Lumen that that was CenturyLink. Um, I, I was interested to see that you know publicly they're they're talking about a partnership that they have with with Swimlane. I, I would have put that at the headline here if it was me. Um, if you know if Lumen is using Swimlane throughout their managed security services practices, that'd be that's a pretty big company. Yeah, I mean the other surprising part to me about that is, um, I guess it, when I think about it, it, doesn't surprise me that Lumen is a a global company, but you know I think of them as a more you know U.S. based telecom carrier. So I guess it hadn't really uh, occurred to me that they have. Uh, they have pieces in other places, including APAC as well. Yeah, really interesting stuff. Anyway, Lumen's another Colorado connection, obviously. A lot of, lot and lot, lot of uh, those employees here in town. Yeah, the uh, obviously the, the Broomfield campus for uh, for Lumen and uh, Swimlane are not very far from each other. So makes makes a lot of sense. Uh, all right. We, next, we have a blog from Coalfire talking about how to ramp up for State Ramp and what it is that you need to know. Um, I guess first, Rob, what is State Ramp? You know, so well, I think you have to first start by saying what is FedRAMP. So FedRAMP is a sure. federal, uh, a federal program that allows um, different federal agencies to use the same information from cloud security providers, um, in in order to say, okay, well, we, this is kind of approved. It meets all of the FISMA requirements. There's a, a centralized process for keeping documentation, and and people can reuse other agencies' research into that into that um, vendor. So, the, and there's a whole like FedRAMP marketplace to say, these are the vendors that have already received uh, an authoriza authorization to operate. Makes it a lot easier for agencies to, to see that. Well, StateRAMP is the idea that, you know, they looked at FedRAMP and said, that's great, um, but we, you know, we're not federal agencies. We don't have access to the same market. So let's create our own and call it StateRAMP. So different states have the ability to, to, to get that same leverage of, you know, vendors say do it once and other states can use that research. Yeah. Um this seems to me like something that could have just as easily been solved by uh, the federal government giving access to the states to the the FedRAMP information. Um, but, um, you know, that that's a political decision. And uh, for whatever reason, that didn't happen. So uh, glad to see that something is kicking off for the states as well. Uh, I think this will probably be a, a little bit of a burden on folks that want to be both FedRAMP and state ramp compliant. But um, it does look like based on the sort of Q&A in this article that, you know, if you already were uh, FedRAMP compliant, mostly you can just take the, the information that you had there, port it over to the FedRAMP portals and uh, do a couple things, uh, excuse me, from FedRAMP to StateRAMP and, uh, and be uh, compliant with StateRAMP. Yeah, I, I had the same thoughts you did as I read it. I'm like, well, why can't they just use FedRAMP? And, and at the end of the day, I, I think it does come down to the fact that, you know, the state of Colorado can't call up the jab with the, the joint approval board for FedRAMP and say, hey, give me the give me the information on ping identity, right? They, they just can't do that. So the fact that they don't have that access within FedRAMP means they had to create their own. Um, I, I agree with you. It'd be nice if there was a way to centralize it in one place, but but at least they're going to use the same requirements. And if you got through FedRAMP, um, you should be able to very easily get through state ramp and just, you know, spend the 
it looks like it's $12,500 to get registered with, with state ramp in addition to fed ramp. Yeah. A little bit more regulatory burden on those that want to comply with both. Um, but yeah, it doesn't seem like too much. So hopefully it'll work out for the States. And, uh, if you want more information on state ramp, there's some in that article. All right. Oh, I guess we should mention in, in that same article, Coal Fire is an approved uh, 3PAO, th third party assessment organization um, for state ramp. So, you know, they're, they're also a FedRAMP 3PAO. Um, so they'll be able to help you with your state ramp too. Um, that makes a lot of sense. That I, I'm glad that they're doing that too. Good times. All right. Uh, last news article here. Optiv has a blog this week. And this is one of those situations where we have a, a national story and we're able to find a local company that's talking about it. So I, we can talk about a national story. Um, they're talking about the um, Improving the Digital Identity Act of 2020, uh, which is, uh, oh, what's the name of that bill? Um, HR 8215. Um, yep. This is the, a, a bill that, that really goes into the creation of a, a single federal identifier per, per person to take the place of this ad hoc system we've had where people basically use social security numbers um, with, for a purpose they're not intended for. Um, and this is like, okay, let's actually create a digital ID uh, for all of our citizens. Yeah. Um, and there's some, some interesting stuff in here. I'm not, before reading this, I actually wasn't super familiar with the improving the digital identity act of 2020. Um, but you know, they're talking about what the goals are of the bill. Uh, and, uh, you know, basically it's, uh, it's to come up with, uh, you know, what we would want to do for, uh, for replacing social security numbers, the requirements, uh, how it would be enacted and things like that. So I think, you know, this is also very, you know, preliminary. It's not that uh, once this passes, all of a sudden we're going to have a, a new digital ident identifier, uh, but I think it'll be the start and hopefully uh, people will be able to, to put input into that and make it better than what we have currently with social security numbers. Yeah. And I think the, the biggest problem with social security numbers is not their identifier, like, you know, it, it is a unique identifier and that, that works just fine. The problem is that we've used it as some kind of a, a, a secret, right? You know, if, if using, if knowing the unique identifier is also the secret, well, everything gets thrown out, you know, in, into a bad situation. And, th and that's why, you know, having social securities leaked in breaches becomes a problem because we've done it wrong. And, and right. this is, this implementation, you know, will separate the identifier from the secret and, and that should, you know, and knock on wood, that should do away with that being, you know, a fundamental problem with a breach where, hey, we just got your identifier and now we can go file your social security tax or file your income taxes or, or go, you know, uh, apply for a credit card or whatever other things you can do with social security number. Yeah. I mean, who, who knows what's going to happen with this? Um, you know, from my perspective, the, your social security number is essentially your, your username and your password. Um, right. If in, if instead of creating new usernames, which, uh, is what this bill uh, potentially wants to do, as well as some sort of authentication method. If we instead just make social security numbers your username and then have some authentication me method that goes along with it, I think you you come to the same uh, place as well. So uh, it'll be interesting because they're they do bring up the fact that you know there there will be some impact if we come up with a new universal ID number. Basically, every government system and uh, healthcare and other things like that um, are built around the fact that your social security number needs to be in there to identify you. And if all of a sudden you have a different number, different format of number, whatever it is, there, there's going to have to be work in those systems to, to be able to support that, right? So um, I, I would think it would be an easier adoption if you everyone keeps their social security number, but then you, you add something else where it's going to be uh, authenticated in a different way. 
All right, good stuff. Uh, that's it for the news. Jumping over to the Slack message of the week. I'll start off with a big thank you to Andre Gata. Andre's been paying for this out of pocket for uh, more than more than two years, th- three, four years, something like that. Thank you, Andre, for what you do, keeping the community going. We appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, this week, the winner of the Slack message of the week is Terry Bradley for posting an article on uh, the FBI hacking exchange servers uh, to be able to remove the web shells that were put in there by attackers. Yeah, and this started a good conversation. You know, this is another situation where you know someone gives us the opportunity to have a conversation we should be having. Um, so thank you, Terry, for um, uh, for, for being the guy to, to to share that news first. You get one yeah. item from the Colorado Equal Security Store up to twenty five dollars in value. Uh, you can use that to 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 make sure you're sporting your Colorado security look anywhere you go. You know, in this post pandemic world that's coming. That's right. Uh, we, everybody's got to be fashion forward now that we're going to be seeing people again. Absolutely. All right. right, let's jump over to events. Uh, we have a, a good deal of events coming up in the, the next two weeks, uh, starting with uh, ISSA Colorado Springs doing their April meeting on April 20th. Well, April 20th is going to be a big week uh, or a big day, excuse me. We have a, a few more things going on that same day. We've got um, ASIS doing a case study of uh, workforce inclusion. This is presented from from DEN, um, DEN being the the new acronym for DIA, the, the airport, there's a an employee from Denver International Airport who's going to be there talking about how they do inclusion there. Nice. Uh, also on the 20th, CSA is doing their April meeting. ISSA Colorado Springs has their cyber focus days. It starts on the 20th and it goes through the 22nd. On the 21st, OWASP is doing their April meeting. And that's a com- combined meeting as all of them have been between OWASP, Denver, and Boulder been combined since COVID started. Um, on the 21st, uh, ISSA Denver starts their April general meeting. And it, this is interesting. It's actually a three-day meeting where there, you have over the course of a few days, the opportunity to get a whole bunch of CPEs. So a good one to join. Good stuff. On the 27th, ASIS is doing a young professional happy hour with Tony York. Also on the 27th, if you're if you don't want to be a young professional, you just want to be a degenerate, there is a Colorado <laughs> Equal Security poker night. And you can go play poker with uh, Jason Jakes, and I think I'm going to be there like that uh, on the 27th. So maybe you can take some of my money. Nice. And then finally, on the 28th, ISC Squared Pike, Pikes Peak is doing their April meeting. All right, good stuff. Let's jump over to jobs. We have some great jobs this week. Um, University of Colorado, Colorado Springs is hiring a director of IT security and compliance and information security officer. Yeah, that sounds like a, a cool job. Arrow is looking for an identity and access management audit assurance analyst. Uh, you'd be working for uh, Rishi Singh down there at, at Arrow. With a, a call back to earlier in the show, Lumen is looking to hire a Splunk enterprise security architect. Nice. Uh, Zayo is looking for a cybersecurity analyst three. Swimlane is hiring a professional services engineer consultant. Yeah, this is not supporting their, uh, their APAC uh, professional services apparently. Centura Health is looking for a security engineer. Tarumo BCT is hiring a product security analyst. RTD is looking for a manager of cybersecurity operations. I assume you get to work directly for Tim Coogan, which I think would be a pretty awesome opportunity. Tim's a good guy. Yeah. Uh, Next, the Colorado Judicial Branch is hiring a lead security architect. And finally, Paladina Health is looking for a manager of IT security, and this job can be remote. Good stuff. All right. Well, that takes us to the end of the news. We do have an interview this week. Uh, Desiree Robinson, who is the Senior Information Security Manager for Smarsh, 
um, is is on the show, and she was interviewed by Janelle Shaw. Um, we've we, we've known Desiree for quite a while. She was the CISO for NREL and and moved over to um, to Survey Gizmo, which is now oh man, Alchemer, 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 so, yes. So Desiree is a you know kind of a, a three time security leader here in Colorado, and I'm excited to, to hear what she's up to there at Smarsh. Nice. I am looking forward to it as well. All right. Well, that's it for this week. We'll look forward to talking to you guys again next week. Thanks, Rob. Hello, this is Stanton Meyer, CSO of CoBank. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. For Colorado security professionals, by Colorado security professionals. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is Janelle Shaw. Today, I'm excited to interview Desiree Robinson. Desiree is a Senior Information Security Manager at Smarsh, so I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Desiree. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, Hi, Janelle. You... Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Are you as excited about spring and the warm weather as I am? I'm so tired of being cold. Yeah, I'm actually, I feel like the winter was late to start, but late to go away, so I'm very excited for the warm weather. Yeah, no, I love spring and my, my trees are almost budding. They're like, I think one or two more days of warm weather and we'll have buds. So then hopefully we won't have more cold and snow to kill them again. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Uh, you mentioned my name is Desiree Robinson. I was raised in the panhandle of North Idaho, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, small little resort town. It used to be farming town, mining town. Um, so Growing up in that remote area, I uh, had a really liberal education. Uh, we we're never, um, I never experienced anything other than if I want to do something, well, I had two arms, two legs, go do it. And uh, it was just a really great environment to grow up in, uh, especially with the group that I grew up with. Uh, we're all um, Mount St. Helens babies. So we were born nine, 10 months after Mount St. Helens happened. Um, so it just a very core group of kids that grew up together um, and challenging each other. And it didn't matter, boy or girl, um, disability, non-disability, race, nothing. It just, we all grew up together really close. And I think that actually shaped um, how I viewed life. Uh, you know, work hard, work for what you want. And I have two arms and two legs. So um, with that in mind, my parents were small business owners and let us know, uh, each of the kids, that if we wanted an education, which they totally supported, we'd have to go find a way to pay for it ourselves. And so I took the long route of working for employers that paid for my education along the way. Uh, during that time, uh, I married someone who was in the military. We were in the Navy, a Navy family and we traveled all over the West Coast. And during one of those stations, I just happened to meet the right people at the right time, get introduced into information security. Uh, and I think it was called information assurance back then. <laughs> uh, so it was for, for the government, started off as a contractor, worked my way up to be um, going from California, weapons testing station there, um, moved to the Naval Sea Systems Command in, in DC and running a team there. And again, I started off as a contractor, but worked my way up to a government uh, leader for the team. I ran the uh, research development testing and engineering program for all of Naval Sea System Command. Uh, and then I worked for the Navy IG, so the Inspector General, going around to these sites and auditing their programs. So it's just very eye-opening coming from remote Idaho, living up and down the West Coast in these tiny little Navy towns to going to the 
you know, Washington, D.C., to me, the headquarters of the world uh, and, you know, dealing with big real world um, programs and lots of money and lots of responsibility that comes with that. And it was eye opening to me. Um, and again, it got to the point where, you know, um, put even bigger glasses on and see what else is available to me. And again, it was the, you have two hands, you have two feet, go get it. And so uh, I decided what I wanted to do. And that was management in the infosec world. Um, so I went back to school and I got my degrees. And then um, during that time, the Navy Yard shooting happened and that had a huge impact on my office. So there was um, a minute where I had to decide what I want to do with my life and for my family. So that's where we settled in Colorado. And I worked for uh, University of Colorado for a couple of years there. And while there, I got my master's degree in engineering management and then decided to leave higher ed and uh, do private industry for the energy um, industry for a little bit and um, went back to government and then tried to be a CISO there um, for about 15 months. And uh, I'll be honest, I missed the work. And so it was another eye-opening situation and decided that what was best for me was out of all my experience, private industry. Uh, so I went back that way and um, changing titles, changing maybe the day-to-day, -day, but overall it's been management of teams and leading um, governance risk and compliance programs. And that's where I'm at today. That's awesome. Yeah. And so I worked for the federal government for a while too. And so when you said that you made a decision, because I know you were at NREL for a while, mm -hmm. did you miss working for the federal government? And, that, and that's why you went back to NREL and then you decided that you didn't like that and you left again? Um, like, what, how do you know? Because I yeah. think like some people love working for the federal government or government in general. And then for some people, it's just like not their cup of tea. Yeah. So when I started in California and even in DC, I loved it. I loved who I worked with. I loved who I worked for. I loved what I was doing. Uh, and then in DC, I got to see how it impacted the, you know, the warfighter and um, our military members. And it, it had a big impact on me of, you know, the value of work that I provided helped. Um, but with the government, sometimes things are way too slow. Uh, <laughs> uh, and sometimes they're detrimental. I remember auditing a program where they had, um, software in place that was better than what was allowed. And we had to make them strip it. So it was a waste of money, a waste of time, and it was less secure, but it was all because of that red tape. And, uh, I, I just remember feeling icky, like that was icky. Um, then when I came to Colorado with, um, government again at NREL, that was more of a, a decision of, um, the side of the government that was not presented to me before. So um, before I led the team, I led the work. I was still hands-on. Um, at NREL, it was more of, um, it, I don't know how to explain it other than there was real laziness. Um, and again, uh, too slow. Um, I spent more time creating project date documentations than I did actually performing the work. And so again, it was just that it's too slow. It feels icky. Um, people aren't willing to do what's ne necessary to right. do it. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying it's the government, just the people that are in that mentality. There's always a few. And um, I just decided if that's what a CISO looked like in the government, I wasn't, I didn't belong there. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think going back to your philosophy, you know, of like two hands and two feet and just you're, you seem like the get her done kind of girl, like, right? Like, 
Yeah. And I've been, I've been explained that is it's either I'm a breath of fresh air or the bull in the China shop. Um, because I do come in there and I want to get stuff done. Like I'm not, I'm not there to ask you how your day is for the first 20 minutes of a 30 minute meeting. I'm there of like, Hey, it's nice to see you. What can we do today to get something accomplished? And that, and that doesn't always sit well with government. No, and that doesn't sit well with a lot of people either. And and I and kind of to transition, so military and cybersecurity, you were probably one of the few women, right? Um, those are really both heavily male-dominated areas. Um, and and to be that, like just let's, you know, no chit-chat and just get it done. How was that perceived by your your colleagues? Yeah. Uh, luckily in California, I started with four other females. So wow, um, and no male was in the group, very rare, but in that situation, they recruited from within, nobody wants to live in China Lake, the deserts of California. So they recruited from um, the town. So I was lucky there. However, anywhere else I've been, that's not been the case. So in DC, we were probably a team of government, um, gosh, more than a dozen, but I can count on three or four women, including myself um, in that group. And um, I would say for my direct colleagues, they were either familiar with me already or got used to my style quickly. It was the contractors that we worked with or the other government workers in different um, departments or areas that we would only work with maybe once a month or a check-in. And um, I had developed a reputation of, I'm the hardest person to get anything approved. I asked too many questions. I... Um, I expect too much. However, the result of that became any, let me back up a little bit. There are three ways to get packed. There's operational rdt and then what they called PIT. And I didn't do operational and I did do rdt and I helped with PIT. Anything that came through my office that we approved and moved on to Big Navy got approved first shot. No, no other department can say that. And so there is a reason why I was hard and you know, cause that puts my name on it too. And I'm a part of it and I'm responsible for it. So of course I'm going to want it to be the best it can be. And it did ruffle some feathers along the way. But uh, I would say having been there for a few years, it became an appreciation where the other teams did rely on our packages, our templates, our work to get their other work done in other areas. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, that's what you hope for, right? Is that, you know, your templates and your documents will be used by somebody else. I always say that too, like steal my stuff. If you think it's that good, that's great. So, yeah. um, and last year you were featured in, as an inspirational woman in STEM and technology. Um, yeah. So how did that come about? Yeah, uh, so at the time I was working for a, a company called Survey Gizmo is now uh, Alchemer. Um, and uh, they're, they had a great um, VP of, or I think he was the chief of marketing and he and I just got to talking and we just, our philosophies in life were same but about work and people and management. And it was through him that he actually nominated me for um, the Denver's 40 under 40. And I didn't make it, I obviously was a nomination, didn't move further, but it was through that and my participation of that program that Authority Magazine had reached out and wanted to do um, an article. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. So now you're with Smart Smarsh. Sorry. Yes. Uh, yes. So tell us a little bit about Smarsh. Yeah. So Smarsh is um, so there. The best way I explain it is banks, 
credit card companies, anything in the world or any company in the world that has data archiving and or capture requirements, they would want to use Smarsh. We're, I believe, the number one in our industry. I mean, we out um, score everybody. We're always in the top quadrant. Um, uh, we have very, I want to say, this is horrible. Um, I can't say it, but we have so many products. What's great about each and one of those products, it's either capture or an archive or an AI of research, like search and um, other capabilities. We have all these options. But what's great is that each and every team on Smarsh or at Smarsh in each of those products, they are so knowledgeable about what they do and how they do it and how it could help you. Um, so I don't know if I want to say that we only sell capture and archiving products, but we sell, I would say, top quality service and top security in those services. Because um, that's been my experience on the other side. It's okay. just how much we love and take care of our customers and provide that um, level of security and assurance for them. That's awesome. And then what do you, what's your job there? What's your uh, responsibilities? Yeah, so I was hired to be a senior information security manager. So um, uh, kind of like a team lead at the time. I was probably there three months before they moved me up to the people manager of the whole team. So I was a direct, I was the only direct report to the CISO and VP of InfoSec. He has since um, moved on to a different opportunity. So right now I'm running the team. Uh, and so I do all of the responsibilities of our um, internally, the you know security assessments, questionnaires, vendor management, GRC, all the audits. Um, we have our own information security office channel, Slack and Teams. We have um, newsletters that go out. We have the phishing campaigns that we run our um, group through. We have, um, gosh, uh, security awareness training. We're part of the onboarding process. Uh, and we're there to help wherever we can and with whoever we can. We, we help really every single team and they help us. Um, spread security across the organization. Yeah, and it sounds like, you know, from your history is that once you get into a position, they see how valuable you are and you, you know, you're kind of always given that additional responsibility. Um, and I think that goes back to your work philosophy, right? And, and that, that philosophy. And I also, when I was, when I read that interview, you had mentioned that you're both a business partner, not just that data cop. Right. And so, you know, I think that that goes into your philosophy as well. So tell me more about that. Yeah, um, it probably started off in when I first got into information security and in government, you are seen as a data cop. You're yes or no, it's black or white. And within government, you do have some of that black or white um, legalese around that protects information security and how it applies to everything. However, in the real world, out in the business world, um, you know, security isn't always the first priority or it's a priority, but not um, the risk maybe not outweighs the, the, um, the issue at hand. So, you know, sometimes you do have to take that back seat. Um, so leaving government was a bit of an eye opener in that reality, you know, because again, black or white. However, I just found myself more at home in that situation of working with others and um, it that icky feeling I had on the government of black and white, whether it was good or bad, that went away. Um, and yeah, some things don't always get to be um, the way we want them, but at least I got a voice at the, uh, 
at the table, a seat at the table. My voice was heard. Um, we presented all the risks and then people made decisions based on that. And I was a partner all along the way. Um, and if anything, that's what security to me is all about is presenting it and then weighing the best option. Um, you know, and I would say up until the last couple of years, InfoSec was still very much seen as that data cop or that no or that black or white. Um, but the more and more I interview people or get interviewed myself or I participate in a forum in, in some way, it really has changed to we're, we're enablers, we're business enablers, we're your partner. Um, let's help get you the right, the right path or the right direction together. Yeah, and so I think this leads into what my next question is, what's the best advice you can give to people who are building that security program? Um, there's so many first steps, but my first step would be obviously, uh, it'd be the risk analysis of what exists and what needs to happen. But then on that plan of what needs to happen, really get to know who your business partners are across the organization and then reach out to even more people. Because, you know, marketing has been a huge partner to InfoSec because they're the ones who make our reading material and our policies and our public facing things readable. You know, they are our voice to our audience. Um, and that's not what people think of when they think of InfoSec and a business partner. Another is finance and HR. They're going to help you um, get the right people and pay for them um, because their, their value in our market is... Um, like there's just not enough people and too much competition for jobs. So, um, you know, we want to be able to get the right people and then pay them what they deserve. And so those are partners that, again, people don't think about an InfoSec. Um, but then also, uh, you know, when you're building those relationships with your product and, and development and your security engineering, you know, they, they have priorities that may conflict with yours, but it doesn't mean that they're not on the same page or have the same path or don't want to do the right thing. It's just, it may just look different and it's okay to go a different way as long as you end up there. So that would be yeah. my advice. It sounds like, yeah, it's kind of like integrating security into the whole business. Yes. And, yeah. and in your everyday life, like if you're doing it all, all day at work and it's subconscious after a while, then you're going to, you know, take it home with you. And it's just great business practices when, you know, your kid won't give you something like if you ask, I ask my kid all the time, like, Hey, can you tell me your passcode of this? So I can check your homework. And he's like, uh, I need to, I need you to prove this is you, you know? <laughs> uh, so it's, they're good habits for work and then home as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love it when employers use that as an opportunity to, to train, um, the, their employees at home and then like even offer the, the training to the employees, families and things because yeah. it is, it's educating the entire ecosystem. So yeah, well, talking about family, um, you know, I know family is really important to you. So what do you do for like self-care and downtime and take care of your family? Yeah, so uh, for the last 10 years, it's just been my son and I, his father passed away with cancer. And and so we, um, we made a pact to each other that we were going to live our best lives and we were going to do it together. And we were each other's partner in that. And, um, you know, he was only nine at the time. So, you know. He's changed a little bit as a teenager, um, about to graduate high school. Um, but we, we travel, we love to travel. That was one thing that, you know, we're only here on this earth for, you know, whatever destined 
period of time that consists of. And so we just, um, we make lists of everywhere we want to go and we pick a time and we just go. And sometimes we get the ticket and head out before we make any plans. And to us, um, that's probably the best because it's whatever adventure awaits. And life is an adventure. Go enjoy it. Uh, another thing that we do is, um, or we like to do is we'll find a TV program or a movie that we're really into. And sometimes we just don't have the time to sit down and watch it together. So one of us does it, but we have to promise to tell the other person. So we still, um, I don't want to say we watch TV together, but we'll participate in the watching somehow and we'll tell each other um, some storytelling and communications. And to be quite honest, I, I almost skip the TV watching just so I can hear him talk about it. <laughs> I know. You know, get that time with him. Um, yeah, I know. I have a, my son's 20 and my daughter's going to be 19 next week or 18 next week. So yeah, I, that end of childhood, beginning of adulthood is so difficult for moms um, to manage, I feel. And then you were a single mom for, or you still are a single mom, right? So that's in addition to everything else on your plate, that, you know, that's a lot. Yeah. And, and I think that, I mean, when you're facing a situation where you have limited time or resources or funds to pay what you need, it was again, a choice of what kind of life did I want to provide for my child and what kind of life did I want to live after or besides him, you know? Um, and it was, I wanted to give him a permanent home. Um, so no more moving. And then I wanted to give him, um, culture and experience. And so again, that's why we travel. And, um, and so I did whatever I could. I went back to school. I got, got my master's so I can move up the chain, um, or the career ladder and get in these positions that one I wanted to do for myself, um, and that took some trial and error, you know, moving up and moving down um, and moving across sometimes. Um, and then also, you know, have the ability to pay for these experiences and provide him everything he needs. Um, my, my parents are very similar. It's what can, what do you need? I gotcha. So let's work on what you want. Let's help you get there and experience those things. And, um, so I wanted to do the same for my kids. And I really like that when you say like, um, I'm here for you, I got you, but what do you need? I think that's, that's awesome. Um, and the other thing that I usually ask people is about giving back to the community. Um, and so are there things that you and your son do to give back to the community? Yeah, uh, so 10 years ago when his father passed away, we got involved in a program called Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. And then again, when the Navy Yard shooting happened, that program actually became very involved with um, with our group specifically, um, uh, my work group. And uh, they had always been really good to us, you know, through my son or through our involvement or their, their support of us. And so we've spent the next 10 years trying to support them. Um, we've run their marathons, we've collected money, we've um, participated in their forums um, and we have connected others in our a similar situation to the program uh, as well because they have such great resources and um, other programs and whatnot um, that are related to them and it's just I would say it's very it's almost like a family member we're so integrated with that program we, they've been good to us so we wanted to return the favor that's awesome well, as we're um, wrapping up our time here today, is there anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to, to talk about or mention? 
Um, sure. Uh, uh, it's just more of um, an idea of like women. We talked about, you know, not enough women are in this yep. career or this area of expertise. And, um, you know, it, it's always been a focus of mine of either getting involved with programs that look back at high schoolers or starting in junior high. And um, we've decided uh, some friends and I have decided that it just isn't early enough. Like there's too many studies where this separation of that's not a girl's job or you shouldn't like math or you're not good at math or science or anything. It starts almost in kindergarten. Right. And so um, we've started looking around and there's um, several companies, but one in particular that's very close to here where I'm at in Colorado, they're up in Boulder called Bitsbox. And they are a program that or a company that provides coding kits to children. And they're, um, I understand they're really, they're working right now with the Girl Scouts of America and they send these kids a box in the mail and they learn how to code. And um, so friends and I are starting to buy them and send them to our nieces and our friends' daughters and as gifts. Cause who doesn't, who do, what kid doesn't want something in the mail but then also yeah. get introduced to how to code and build something. Um, I mean, it's like a technical, a technical Lego set. It's just wow. so fun and exciting. And so we just wanted to do something ourselves. And um, so, yeah, just wanted to bring that up of, you know, there's more, more to come, more, more girls to grow. Absolutely. Oh, I absolutely love that. And I need one. I've got a couple nieces that I will absolutely send that to. Great. And I'll then- send you their information, you know. Yeah. And I'll actually, so if you send it, um, we'll have Alex put it in the note show notes so that they can get even more. Great. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's great. And then how can people find you? So I'm either on LinkedIn or, um, gosh, I'm never on any of the other things, but, um, I'm in, I'm involved in the Colorado equal security, the CISO dinners. I'm a member of the group, the Slack channel. Um, and then reach out to me on LinkedIn, say hello. Awesome. Well, Desiree, it has been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that, um, that's the end of our interview. So until next time to everybody, thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.